0: again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin, alongside John McAlevey. Welcome to this week's edition of the podcast on moresportsnow.com. We have a very special guest with us. Nostradamus has joined us. No, actually, it's, it's Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News. But, Pat, I jokingly use that term Nostradamus because when the news broke last week that the Giants were going to Daniel Jones... You were on not so much Jones per se, but the need to remove Eli Manning that his time had come and gone as quarterback of the Giants for a long, long time now. And you paid a big price. Boy, you were the object of the quote unquote affection of Giants fans left and right. And I know you got torn apart by it, but you were absolutely right. And finally, everyone in the Giants camp saw that from ownership on down. So congratulations for being ahead of the curve.
1: Yeah, no, thanks, Matt. Yeah, it was uh, from moving on to Eli to even putting Jones in early this season, you know, it's about two things. One, uh, Eli just not having it, even though it was difficult emotionally for everyone, especially the Giants ownership to move away from him. But secondly, the strength of the feelings and the belief that Pat Shermer, the head coach, had in Daniel Jones. That was a very key element about uh, what he felt he could do And really, as we saw in the win over Tampa Bay, he believed that he gave the team a better chance to win than Manning, and of course that was on display in Tampa on
0: Sunday. Yeah, anyone could have seen that. Uh, It was a much different look from the Giants. We should point out that Pat has just landed. Talk about a guy who's uh, gracious enough to give us some time. Has just landed from Tampa. He's on his way home, but uh, as soon as uh, he landed he gave us a call and said, hey, we can do this show. So we really do appreciate your consideration. You've been a longtime friend, longtime friend of the show, and we Thank you very much. So what was it like? God, give us a feel. I think we saw it. We read the reports. You, you had a lot. You were busy, man. You were the man for the Daily News down in Tampa, no question about it. We read all the stories. Uh, we saw the video. We heard the reports from the dressing room, but you were in there. Just give me a sense of what the players were like as they started to talk about this improbable comeback victory.
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, even though there was some relief I actually think there was much more excitement rather than just feeling relieved they got a win because this was bigger to them than just the one game. And they're trying not to treat it as such because who, who knows what happened in week four, but like Red Ellison, I thought was, he was the best at capturing everything because he was explaining how crazy it was that a ball or, you know, a bounce went the Giants way for once. Because they lost in the 61 and 63 yard field goals and back to back years at Philly and at Carolina. But of course, that bad luck seemed to be earned by the Giants in a certain way by how they were floundering and playing and shooting themselves in the foot. So there was almost this feeling that because of Jones's uh, infusion, you know, the shot in the arm he gave the Giants, and then the defense is stiffening in the second half even though they gave up that last pass and they easily could have lost on that field goal, there was just this feeling of excitement that they had earned it and that Jones not only means more for their future, like it's not just excitement about the future now. Now, who knows how good the team's going to be because I will say one other thing that definitely stood out on the other side of it was Saquon Barkley was very, very mellow and subdued. I think he's worried about his foot and his ankle, even though he didn't want to convey it that way. But he's very, um, you know, took on a serious tone because um, the Giants may have lost their most skilled player for a while here. But overall, Barkley included everyone just, um, you know, thrilled for Jones and thrilled for the the organization because now it feels like they're playing meaningful football again.
2: Absolutely, Pat. And speaking from a Giant fan here, it, it almost felt like, you know, when somebody Gives you smelling salts, and you kind of like, whoa, holy smokes, or hot coffee in your nose. It woke me up. I mean, I, I couldn't really believe what I was watching. I was one of those folks back in April when the Giants ran to the podium and drafted Daniel Jones at number six. Almost fell off my chair because, you know, listen, who watches Duke football? I certainly didn't. But there it all was on display yesterday. Poise, patience, toughness. He got hit. He hung in the pocket. He he strung plays out. He threw the ball down the field. He got seven different wide receivers involved. I mean, he did everything you could have... Asked for. Did he make mistakes? Yes. But uh, listen, as a Giants fan, I even stuck around to watch the postgame show. I haven't done that since the Super Bowl season. So, you know, as someone covering the team, I'm sure that puts a little pep in your step, but I know the Giants fan base is waking up this morning with a big old smile on their face.
1: Definitely. And, you know, the the most interesting thing about Jones and Russell Shepard, the wide receiver, he was in the huddle and on the field on the final drive, and he was hitting on this is that even to his teammates who like him and respect him already, he's a mis- mysterious guy. And he's mysterious in a way that he's so relaxed and his blood pressure never rises or falls that it doesn't seem really natural. So you, it's natural for you to say, well, who is this guy really? You know, I'm, I'm listening to him talk. I'm watching him stand there all calm when he's under pressure. There's got to be something else. You know, there's got to be something different. But... You know, there, there were some flashes of emotion, you know, he got fired up in the huddle and things like that. But by and large, it seems like one of his greatest qualities and one of his qualities is that ability to stay intensely calm when things are getting crazy around him. Now, of course, that does come back to bite him sometimes because it's almost like when he's in the pocket, he's not necessarily feeling the pressure at all. And that leads to some of these fumbles and turnovers. But you know, you expect mistakes from a rookie, and it's easier to accept those than from a veteran like Eli Manning when he was playing and no need to know to get rid of it. But the bottom line is Jones is poised all the way up to fourth down when he runs in for the game winning touchdown where he sees daylight and takes it. I mean, you see bodies flying around him, but you never saw him get uh, Frantic, you know, you never saw his feet start to move too quickly, which is perfectly human and and normal for somebody when you're under duress. And I, you know, even post game talking to him, just very, uh, very matter of fact, very every man, and you know, surreal in the in the way that he mimics in a lot of ways Eli Manning's demeanor.
2: Yes no doubt. It's something that uh, I tell the kids uh, that I coach on my basketball team. The more the game around you speeds up, you got to slow it down in your mind. And you could see that that was almost, uh, you know, the way he went about things. But, you know, my first question with you is that giant fan, Giants fans must have a big smile on their face and the players do. But someone else who must be grinning from ear to ear this morning is general manager Dave Gettleman. And how about that 2019 rookie class. I mean, they've been getting some hits recently, but yesterday, obviously, Jones was terrific. Ryan Connolly had seven tackles and a pick. DeAndre Baker had seven stops. O'Shane Ziminez had a sack and a couple tackles. And Dexter Lawrence, who has been invisible, he had a sack. So that class, I mean, through three games now, maybe they hit on a couple of these guys.
1: Yeah, no, Baker, uh, Baker was encouraging. I talked to him after the game. He felt like he's been focusing on a few areas. You know, felt like he was better in tackling, more consistent in coverage, knocked down that deep pass to Chris Godwin. Um, You know, of course, Jameis Winston really didn't have to look anywhere other than Janusz Jenkins, so that was a factor. But, um, no, Darcy Lawrence actually I think has played well two weeks in a row, but you saw him even more now. You would like for him to be able to play more often for where you drafted him, but that's certainly encouraging. O'Shane has actually played more snaps than B.J. Hill yesterday. Uh, they really had a rotation going on the defensive line. But, yeah, you mentioned Dave Gettleman. I mean, his, his legacy is going to be defined by what Jones is because Gettleman's made a ton of mistakes. He's mismanaged the cap. He's missed on some picks. He's missed on plenty of free agents. Uh, he had the team in the basement uh, for at least two more years than they should have been. But if Daniel Jones is what we saw on Sunday, nothing else is going to matter. I mean, that—that that is the defining move. Um, you know, I even didn't like, you know, waking up on Sunday morning before the game, there was a report on NFL Network. Um, Ian Rappaport was saying that Gettleman liked Jones so much that he took him six and then immediately tried to trade up to seven to take Josh Allen, the pass rusher from Kentucky. And I just felt like that is, you know, looking for excuses already in case the debut went poorly, like let, letting everybody know, hey, I knew we needed a fast rusher, guys, Right. Uh, but but the bottom line is when you believe in a QB, uh, you take them wherever you can, and that's what Gettleman and Sherver did. And if Jones is what he showed us he was in Tampa Bay, uh, then Dave Gettleman, of course, will ride out uh, on top and be watching, as he says, from Cape Cod as this guy leads them to uh, – you know,
0: to glory, hopefully down the road. Cape or, Cod. Yeah, Cape Cod, as he might say. So, Cape Cod. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but here, here's the deal. And I'm not going to throw water on Daniel Jones's performance or the excitement that fans have about what they saw yesterday. But in every professional sport, it's about consistency, accountability, the ability to do it week in and week out, and that's what Eli was able to do. So let's see what happens this week. Washington may not be the most difficult opponent, but nonetheless, he's got to build on that. He's got to show a lot of the same skills and field awareness and calmness under pressure that he showed in his debut. And as teams get to know Daniel Jones a little bit more, that may become a little more difficult. And the Giants still aren't a good team. So that's going to be an issue too. But here's, here's a question I have. And it's from both sides of the ball. How did that defense suddenly look solid in the second half? Because they were run roughshod over, particularly Janoris Jenkins. I mean, Mike Evans, like, the first half alone might've put him in the hall of fame. Uh, and, and then until that last play and Jenkins just bit on that fake and you went, Oh my God, uh, he, here's a loss coming because of Jack rabbit. But uh, what did they do? And can that carry over? I know Jabril Peppers told you that, you know, they got to come out and punch guys in the mouth right away and not react. And this is the team that they can have, but do they have that kind of team? And will we see that from the start? Can we see that from the start on Sunday?
1: Yeah, no, I think, well, yeah, and that's two weeks in a row that after a bad first half, they've suddenly locked down in the second. I I think this I think that the personnel of the defense, you know, they're a little overmatched in the sense that Marcus Golden, you know, technically he should probably be the third pass rusher on a good team, and he's their best pass rusher. Jabril Peppers is a really good athlete. Should be used in a lot of different ways. He's their starting strong safety. DeAndre Baker, you would hope, would work his way in, but he's an every down player. So, but all that said, it seems to me that James Betcher, the defensive coordinator, two straight weeks has gone in at halftime and made adjustments that have really confused the opposing quarterbacks. And that I, I'm accounting for number one, kind of the blitz schemes. Like they've gotten sacked a couple weeks in a row here. Where you can see, there's been one in each of these games where you can see because of uh, how these guys are stunting and and uh, and you know kind of overlapping past the linemen, they're confusing them to the point where Winston, Josh Allen didn't have a shot on a couple plays. Uh, Golden has been impressive in the clutch. Michael Thomas was just an amazing tackle on Cameron uh, break That was a game saver. That was just an excellent, excellent, excellent play. Yeah, And, then, you know, I think they mixed in more zone in the second half. They did play some man. Like Thomas made that play. That was man. Uh, but they mixed in some zone. And what stuck out to me is, yeah, the pass rush got there too last like yesterday. But what stuck out to me was Winston had time on a lot of plays in the second half. And he was looking downfield, field and people were not open. Um, and I think that that accounts for showing him different looks. You know, as Pepper said, the players, everybody wants to start from the get go like that. Um, I do think you're, like you said, they're going to live still with more growing pains. And that's why, you know, I'm not ready to just come down and say, Dave Gettleman's done a great job with all these picks. Because, I mean, you you know, you got fourth round corner Julian Love is a healthy scratch. Fifth round, Corey Valentine can't get on the field, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Lorenzo Carter, you know, not enough activity from him. But, I think venture has done a really good job. I think it's you know with that starting eleven and their rotation, they lose Ogletree and Tate Davis in that game. I think Ryan Connolly, if there's anybody I, I kind of want to hang my hat on right now and say, you know, uh, really love what he's doing, consistency wise. I'd say Connolly as
2: well. He's been terrific. He even had to put the uh, the headset helmet on yesterday. And as a first guy, first year uh, kid. He was making all the defensive calls, which was amazing, and uh, it's glad that I'm glad that you pointed that out. Back to the offensive side of the ball, I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, judging on what happens with the MRI, we will see what uh, what the road ahead looks like for Saquon. But in the meantime, are we looking at a, uh, a healthy diet of Wayne Gallman Jr., as it says on the back of his jersey? And then, uh, as far as throwing the ball, Evan Engram, who they have so much, you know, pride in and hoping that he's going to turn the page. Was terrific yesterday, as was a healthy Sterling Shepherd. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the play of Darius Slayton, who was outstanding yesterday when he had an opportunity.
1: Right. No, good point. Uh, yeah. One more thing about Connolly. He got the turnover title belt because Alec Ogletree, the captain of the defense, created this wrestling, pro-wrestling style belt. Uh-huh. And that was their first turnover course. So Connolly has him in his locker. If you go to uh, Oakletree's Instagram, he carried it into the stadium yesterday. There's a picture of it. It says defense, 2019, instead of defense.
2: Oh, I like but, that. Um,
1: yeah, it's pretty good. But on the offense. Um, yeah, so Gallman right now is the guy. I mean, they have John Hillman, the undrafted rookie out of Rutgers, um, on their practice squad. Maybe he gets a call up. Uh, both running back and linebacker could be positions that you see claims or signings at this week for depth purposes um, to, you know, fill out the rotation. But Gallman, I think a good unsung hero that you point out there, you know, their run game never got established really, even with Barkley. Uh, but Goldman did a good job in pass protection as did pullback Eli Penny. Um, and Wayne is really tough and does all the little things really well. So even though he's not the flash and dash of Barkley, um, you know, he's a reliable guy, so I like him. He played and in a, a lot of big man. games
2: in college, too.
1: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And In fact, it's a, it's unusual for guys like Wayne Gallman to, you know, score average, like whatever, two touchdowns a game in college for a top-five program nationally and then be a backup in the NFL. I mean, that's a huge adjustment. Good on him for doing it and being mm-hmm. ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned – Evan Ingram. I mean, we gotta talk about this guy because yeah, this is one thing about Eli Manning. Now one of the passes, that one handed catch he made, that was way behind him, right? And that's an amazing catch. Sick. But two of Ingram's big catches, the touchdown and an eighteen yarder early in the game too. Those are crossing across the field with Daniel Jones hitting Evan Ingram perfectly accurately in stride. And that just cannot be um overstated how important that is, especially for a player like him. Evan Ingram, on those two plays, NFL Next Gen staff has him running faster on both of those plays than any other tight end has run this year carrying the ball.
2: Wow, ball and, placement.
1: Yep, and when you get him in space, this is, I mean, he ran a 4 four forty. He was actually a, a surprise pick, not only, you know, like around the league, uh, when the Giants took him in the first round, but the part of the reason that Jerry Reese and company took him was because of how lightning fast he was and his potential as a receiver. So you saw just how dynamic he is, even though we've seen it in the past. But you give him the ball accurately in space, it's over with. And uh, Sterling Shepard, I mean, reliable, tough, team guy. And the touchdown pass him from Jones was just, I mean, what a what a throw. I mean, that was. That was one of the best throws of the week outside of uh, Mahomes through like a, a fade touchdown off, backpedaling off of one foot. But other than that, I'm not sure I saw a, uh, a better throw on Sunday. And Slayton, that's what you want. That's what you want to see. In fact, it's very interesting that with Barkley out, you did not, the Giants were not kind of stuck in this, we have to run the ball and establish the run, even though Shermer did kind of run it a lot on early downs. But you kind of open it up and you give Daniel Jones a chance to take those shots. And it's nice to see a quarterback who will throw the ball downfield and is capable of doing it without putting it up for grabs. And Slayton has speed that no other receiver on this roster has. Tyke Tolbert, the receivers coach, was telling us that before the game. Um, and that 46-yard, I think, pass from Jones to Slayton that set up the Shepherd touchdown strung by a great block by the fullback Eli Penny. That's exactly what the Giants were hoping for from Jones to Slayton when they drafted both of them.
0: Well, I think what we'll find out in the weeks to come is whether or not the narrative that the Giants had a pedestrian receiving core was the result of Eli not being able to get the ball to them in position to do something, get the long ball downfield, or in fact, you know, they are not quite Uh, An A1 type of receiving core. But I do know this from having covered sports for a long time. Athletes will tell you that they give 100 percent all the time. Each game is, you know, a one game referendum, et cetera, et cetera. But when you take the field or you take the ice or you take the court, knowing that you have a chance to do something there's a little extra jump. So I wouldn't blame Evan Ingram for saying, hey, you know, people are saying I haven't lived up to my billing, but now I got a guy who can get me a ball in position to do something and I'll show you what I got, which is not to say he laid down. It's just the reality. You only can do yeah. so much.
1: No doubt. And and let's also, we should talk about too, we may have mentioned it, but how much more Jones's mobility does for Pat Shermer as a play caller that also frees up these receivers maybe to get a little a half a step on guys when they do throw the ball. Because now as a defense, you have to worry about Jones tucking and running. And it might be a design play, like the read option touchdown, or it might not be a design run, like the game-winning touchdown, where you're dropping and looking to throw. Suddenly nobody's open, but now it's not Eli Manning trying to run for a touchdown. It's Daniel Jones firing up fields and he's in the end zone before a Buccaneer has barely even turned around. And that is just a huge, huge uh, can't you know, it's not you know, it's it's almost underrated even though it's talked about a lot. But you make a good point too, is that this receiving core, maybe they are sufficient enough with a quarterback who can get them the ball. And let's give some credit to Mike Shula and Tyke Tolbert and Shermer, because they together collaborate every week on kind of going through Shermer's entire Rolodex of plays and the receivers coach and the offensive coordinator, this is how they create the game plan and the call sheet. They go through and they pick out what they think will best attack that defensive scheme and their opponent that week. And then Shermer kind of tinkers with it and says, yeah, I like this. I don't like this, but they all collaborate on what they feel will best get uh, the better of the defense that week. And so, definitely a good game plan to get Jones some open receivers, um, and the receivers also around the route. So well done. And, um, the final drive, I mean, Jones, I think he was five for five before finishing five for seven on that last drive, but it wasn't just a run. I mean, it was just the poise making the throws with the game on the line.
0: And no, it was an impressive debut. There's no way to, uh, describe it in any other fashion there were things he had to work on as we talked about protecting the ball under some pressure that might be a good thing that he doesn't panic but he's got to keep tuck that ball in and there were a few throws but every quarterback does that 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 are a little underthrown or overthrown at any rate it was a terrific performance but before the Giants can prepare another spot in their complex for a Lombardi trophy and before a bust is created in Canton for Daniel Jones. They've got to take the field against the Redskins on Sunday. Again, it's not the toughest, but it's the NFL. So what what do you see as you look into your crystal ball with this change? Because it's got to change what the Giants might be able to do. How much does it change the storyline, Pat, in your eye, regarding what the Giants might be capable of doing this year?
1: So this is a crazy thing that – the Eagles are banged up and they are, uh, they're going on a short week with one, one win to green Bay on Thursday night. So the Eagles very well could be one and three uh, after week four. So if the Giants beat Washington, they could actually be in second place in the NFC East after four weeks. It is not out of the uh, realm of possibility at all. In fact, it's more likely than not that the Eagles will lose to the Packers. So that's, amazing that you could even say that through four weeks now that said number one landon collins has had this game circled on his calendar since march yes <laughs> so i i uh i would be intimidated by that uh dominique rogers cromarty a ball hawk we you know the interesting storyline to me and this is uh case keenum the quarterback pat Shermer's quarterback in minnesota in the uh, running, the offense that got to the NFC Championship that got Shermer this Giants coaching job, facing Shermer and his new quarterback Daniel Jones, yeah, uh, that'll be an interesting thing to watch. I think as far as what the Giants can do, they can be in any game against a team that is not clearly superior to them on the field by leaps and bounds, personnel wise. So, I think it would be a total upset if they were able to beat, say, the Minnesota Vikings defense in week five, it would be ridiculous for them to beat New England on a Thursday night on a short week at Foxborough in week six. I think it would be a lot to expect from those things. I just think it's easier to deal with watching Jones go through some growing pains and say, well, he's a rookie and he'll fight through it, than losing these games You know, by two touchdowns, running Eli back out there week after week, I think it has a much different feel. As far as the Giants can accomplish, beginning of the year, I predicted 6-10. and And that was based on my thought that Jones would get in there early and be able to lift them to more wins than Manning could. And so I don't expect them to make the playoffs. I don't expect their defense, just because they've had a good couple second hands, to suddenly be world beaters. And I don't expect Daniel Jones to match an historic performance every week like he turned in in Tampa Bay. But I do think the comeback nature of this, the idea that they're deep played so badly for so many consecutive drives, mainly Janoris Jenkins, and that they weren't out of it, tells me that they're going to go into times of games against Washington, Minnesota, New England, the Jets, the Cardinals, cetera. And they're not going to say the game's over. And I think that is uh, that's the best, most exciting thing I can say about the Giants right now is that with Daniel Jones at quarterback, you now have a chance to win. It would seem until the clock hits zero.
2: Absolutely. And Pat, last one from me. And again, we appreciate your time. Just stepping off the plane. Uh, one no of the problem. reasons why the Giants struggled the first two games was their third down efficiency. Yesterday, they were six for 13, which I think a lot of that had to do with Jones's legs and being able to get out of the pocket and keep some plays alive. And on the negative side, uh, again, we see Nate Solder as the human turnstile. Shaq Barrett abused him all afternoon. And you know if he's going to be uh, keeping the young kid's backside healthy, they got to shore that up as well.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, Barrett, Barrett is probably on his way to two consecutive, uh, NFC defensive player of the week award. So he is lighting the league on fire. Uh, but certainly, yeah, that was, uh, that's something you need. You need a lot better from Solder from the O line. Uh, P, there was a PFF stat that, uh, Jones was under pressure, I think, on 40% of his dropbacks and that he's the first quarterback um in what 10 years or something like that or a pff database first rookie quarterback to have a perfect passer rating when he's under that much pressure and completing a certain amount of passes something absurd um, but they definitely have to get that shirt up and i shouldn't overlook even though we did mention it if saquon is out for a significant period of time you have to imagine and i think matt or john i can't remember which one of you said it earlier but Much like in baseball, sometimes a pitcher comes onto the scene and in his first game, you know, you don't have a lot of tape on him, not enough scouting on him in the pros, and he shows you stuff you haven't seen before and it's tough to see and prepare for. But once you have it on tape and you know what's coming, it can be easier to stop. And if Jones doesn't have Saquon at his disposal, we could see a regression that would be natural not only without Barkley but also with defense is keying on what Jones does well as far as being mobile and in the passing game. So your point is a great one. They need to protect him better because even though he's mobile, you don't want to just rely on that because this is one thing that you saw a little too much of in that game that you just mentioned. He took some big hits, and that's going to come from when you leave the pocket a little and you try to make plays with your feet, but you can't take too many of them or else we've seen it around the league so many times this year and other years, you're going to land one of those blows. that's going to land you on IR.
2: Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned teams are going to do their homework. We're going to get a chance to see if Daniel Jones can keep off the off speed pitch on the outside corner with two strikes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great great point. Well, Pat, again, uh, much thanks for joining us. Particularly given the circumstances, you've got plenty to do. I know today, the uh, news conference a little later on this afternoon, uh, the phone conference regarding Saquon Barkley, which is critical, as we've talked about. But also, you just want to get home. You were on the road. And uh, I know that trip up from Tampa is a long one. Thanks very much again for giving us some of your time. We'll we'll continue to read your stories in the New York Daily News. You were on top of this one for a long time. And uh, again, congratulations on getting it right
1: appreciate the opportunity as always matt and john thank you so much and uh talk to you soon maybe after danny Dines his next win
0: (laughs) fair enough that could be monday who knows all right we'll talk to you soon thanks pat all right see you guys thanks pat and that'll wrap things up on this week's podcast i should point this out before we go john we're watching the game yesterday my wife and i maggie and i'm pointing out Eli Manning's reduced role. And boy, he just kind of looked lost there. I mean, I know he did all the right things and people made a lot of the, uh, the congratulatory handshake and hug at the end of the game when, uh, the Giants had won. And, you know, he did the right thing. It was almost like he said, listen, you're in the spotlight now. Congrats. I'm, I'm going to head off. So he did everything with class as you would expect, but he just looked like a fish out of water. And I pointed that out to Maggie. And she said, well, why didn't he just retire then? I said, well, he's got a contract that pays him over $20 million a year. She goes, I'm not going to feel too sorry for the guy.
2: No, no. And he looked good with the baseball hat on. You usually don't see him that. You usually see him with the helmet on. And then uh, when the game was over and the press conference went on, Daniel Jones, I mean, it was like Eli. 15, 16 years ago. They're they're the same guy. It's amazing. They're the same almost height and weight. They played for the same collegiate coach and David Cutcliffe. And it's amazing how he is following in the footsteps. And at, that's a guy that the Giants brass and Giants fans can can rest easy is is not gonna make a fool of himself with. Uh, brash things. And and he's just going to act like a, you want your young quarterback to act like Eli has for all these years.
0: Yeah, act like he's been there before. Now, if he can put two Super Bowls into the Giants headquarters and complex and trophy display case, then he'll be an all time giant, great as Eli is. But uh, the page has turned, and it is Daniel Jones in a terrific debut for the new Giants quarterback. And we'll see what the Jones era holds. That'll wrap things up on this week's edition of the podcast. On more dot com. Thanks so very much again to Pat Leonard of the New York Daily News for giving us a half hour of his time. Uh, He's a great follow. If you don't uh, follow him on Twitter, if you don't buy the newspaper and read his stories, you're missing out an awful lot of insight. Uh, As we mentioned earlier, he was. One of the first ones, if not the first, to see that it was time for Eli Manning to go. Uh, That was over a year ago. It was before Daniel Jones was drafted. And he saw what Daniel Jones could bring to the table. He was steadfast in his opinion. And he was excoriated in a lot of quarters for it. uh, But he was proven right. And we always appreciate when he comes on the show.
2: Yeah, he was pilloried on Twitter. I mean, he was getting it from all angles. And all he was saying was, you know, he was believing what his eyes were showing him. And it was, again, nothing personal with Eli. He just thought it was time to pull the plug. Now, was it time to go to Geno Smith? No, that wasn't the case. And Kyle Lauletta, no. But now they have a kid that they took at number six. And the handwriting was on the wall, and he was ahead of the game.
0: He was indeed. And again, thanks to Pat for joining us. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the podcast on moresportsnow.com. I think I said that earlier, but I'll repeat it in case you missed it. For John McAlevey, I'm Matt Laughlin. We'll see you next week. (music) Bye-bye.